This morning's scripture is found in Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me and for me this morning? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your word in our lives and the opportunity that we can testify openly and publicly about the work that you are doing in our lives and in our community and in our world. And so we pray this morning that as we hear your word and the word that you've given me, Lord, that we would be empowered and strengthened by your spirit to respond and to testify of your goodness through our the lives that we live. May they be a life of worship to you. So we praise you and thank you in Jesus Christ's holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, you know, I can remember the day very vividly. Uh, it was actually a couple years ago. It was a hot, bright day that day. And so as we walked in, my wife, Melissa, walked into this cool, dark room. Our eyes took a minute to adjust. I remember I was wearing shorts. And so because of the heat, they had the air condition cranked way up. And I am from Texas. And so I like I get cold at the drop of a hat. And so we walked in. And uh, between my excitement and the air conditioning, I was shivering. In fact, I remember, too, that the room itself, it's funny how things are tied to memory. I remember the room itself smelled like cleaner, and I just couldn't get that that smell out of my nose. And my ears, all they could focus on was this humming from the computer monitor nearby. And uh, as Melissa got ready and the technician came in and they prepared her, and, and then all of a sudden it happened. We had expected it to happen, but it's one of those things when you expect it and then it comes, you, you don't really know what you were looking for or expecting, but uh, it was faster than I thought, but we heard it. It was, it was the sound of our son Liam's heartbeat that we heard for the very first time. It was, seriously, one of the coolest things we'd ever heard, uh, one of the scariest things I'd ever heard because all of a sudden I was a parent or going to be uh, soon. But you know, what we realized that day is that we had been given the miracle of new life. It was a miracle for us. And, you know, I think I think what's great about miracles is that they come in so many different ways. What's hard about miracles is they come in so many different ways. We all have expectations of what miracles look like. Would you agree? We all have expectations on what is or isn't a miracle, when they come, how they come why they come, what they look like, why they do or don't happen. But miracles come in so many different ways. And so because of that, I just want to acknowledge before all of us, miracles can be a touchy subject for us to talk about because it's hard to fathom. It's hard to understand because we all have different meanings. But can I tell you, for the new married couple who are driving down the road and their car runs out of gas 
and they're walking down the side of the highway and the entire way that they're, they're praying, uh, because they don't know how they're going to put gas in their car because they don't know how they're going to afford it and they come across a $20 bill. That's a miracle for that couple. The guy who's been given six months to live because the cancer has spread. And then all of a sudden, two years later, he's back to see the doctor. That's a miracle. For that guy, it's a miracle. For the mom, who's a single parent, she's working two jobs, living on the rough side of town because that's all she can afford and she's raising her children only to see them excel in school and get scholarships to college. For her, that's a miracle. My wife married me. That's a miracle. <laughs> we wake up. For some of us, we... <laughs> Thank you. That's, uh, that's good. For some of us, just waking up every day, we find as a miracle to our lives. Would you agree? Miracles come in all shapes and sizes, and however we define them, wherever we find ourselves, we look for miracles, we ask for miracles. So as we continue our study on Jesus, we're going to begin a new series on the miracles he performed, because miracles are part of our faith. Our faith is founded on miracles. So in our scripture today, the miracle we're going to take a look at is Jesus miraculously heals ten lepers without even touching them. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, whether it's on your phone or otherwise, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And we're going to be looking at the story. And so we're, we start off in this story with ten men, and they have the worst disease of the day. And can I tell you, when I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking, how in the world am I going to communicate uh, the disease of leprosy uh, to our modern day? Because... Because of modern uh, medical science, man, leprosy for us, a lot of us really probably haven't had an experience with it. But leprosy back then, 2,000 years ago, is this terrible disease. And really, they called a lot of things leprosy. But specifically, this uh, in this context, leprosy is terrible because it attacks the body. Uh, it leaves sores all over your body. It can, and it does different things to different people. You have missing fingers. Missing toes, damaged limbs. In many cases, the initial pain of leprosy is tough. But because it attacks your body in such a way, it can attack uh, the, the nerves, the endings. And so you can lose sensation. And as a result, you, it leads to more damage to more parts of your body. And back then, I mean, the disease of leprosy can take 30 years to run its course. And so you're just openly in some ways, rotting on the outside. It's a horrible disease. And so, again, it's this impossible task of seeing how we can relate and understand what it was like 2,000 years ago for these 10 guys who, with our medical understanding of modern medical science, for them, it was nearly uh, non-existent. And so it's the physical pain of leprosy that was tough. But the other part that was difficult was the emotional pain. So the emotional pain of a leper must have been even worse, I think, because when you're a leper, you are removed from your family because it's a highly contagious disease. So all of a sudden, you're with your family, you find out you have leprosy, you don't even say goodbye, you just run out of the house as quickly as possible. You never get to hold your children again, you, you can't hold a good job anymore, uh, you can't work anymore, you're removed from the community, you can't even kiss your wife or, or husband goodbye because you know that if you did that, you could possibly give them the infection. 
And so you're pretty much dead to your family. You can't do anything. The best thing you can do is just run away and live with that emotional pain for the rest of your life. And when um, the thing about lepers is because they were exiled and they were in this, this pain and physical and emotional, they tended to roam around together to help each other out, to support each other. There were leper colonies. If you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, you know. I mean, there are leper colonies where people live together. And so they tended to roam together. They would look for food. They would beg for assistance. And they would do this at a great distance. And if, uh, if you've ever read Leviticus, uh, there are rules for this. You were supposed to shout to everybody and tell them that you were unclean as far away as possible. But the irony is that some of the ways that you could get food, some of the only ways, rather, that you could get food were by asking for help. So they were used to shouting. They would have to stand across the street and say, hey, I'm unclean. Can you help me? We need some food. And so they would travel together. They would yell in loud voices. But what would it have been like to have this, this disease that's eating your body? To never be able to see your family again. And that every day you have to tell everybody and be reminded that you have this thing by shouting out, hey, I'm unclean and I need your help. That would be awful. And yet, in this encounter with the ten men, as we turn to verses 12 through 13, they encounter this guy, Jesus. And they hear him say the most unusual thing. They say, "Uh, Jesus, we want to be well. Lord, have pity on us. And then he says the weirdest thing. He says, okay, well, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, uh, this was true back then. Priests had multiple tasks. Uh, they weren't just uh, in charge of worship on the Sabbath. They were kind of a health official. And so they would go, and if a person was miraculously healed of leprosy, it was up to the priest to go out. They would inspect the body. Uh, they would look for a complete removal of the disease, and they would announce the person healed. They would then go through this sacrificial act of um, this process, this ceremony, uh, to bring the person back into the community. And in such cases, when the priest said, hey, you're good to go, you would have been cleansed. And at that point, because the priest said it was okay, you can come back in the community. You can get a job again. You can kiss your spouse again. You can hold your children. You have a brand new life that some most never experienced because you were miraculously healed of leprosy. So Jesus says to these lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests. And here's what I find about the, the miracle. I mean, I, I feel like uh, a lot of stories sometimes you just skim over them really quick. It's like, okay, great, they went and on their way they were healed. But can you imagine you're standing there, you ask Jesus for help. He says, go, go to the priest, go and show yourselves to the priest. These ten guys look down for a second, right? And uh, this one guy probably had, his hands were all mangled. Well, they weren't any better yet. I mean, he wasn't any better off than he was ten minutes ago. Another guy looked down, he's on a crutch, probably has half of his leg missing, and a bandage wrapped around his knee. He isn't healed. Another guy, he's still got the, the sores and the spots all over him. Nothing's different, but they go anyway. That's what's fascinating to me about this miracle. They go anyway. And on the way, they were healed. And on the way, the hand, they reappeared. Uh, uh, the hand that was there, rather, it, it tingled with life. The crutch, it tripped over the rag that fell off because the leg 
was miraculously full and well and whole again. The skin, where all the spots and the blisters and uh, the flesh was rotting away, all of a sudden was smooth and new. And can you imagine what it was like to be those ten guys who, they had shared so many stories about what it would be like if they could go see their family again. What it would be like to be back in the community and whole and well again. And they're walking to the priest and then all of a sudden they notice, hey, you're, you're not looking so bad anymore. Hey, you're looking okay. Your leg's back. Can you imagine how excited they must have been in that moment? And, and the screaming started. They, uh, the cheering. They were in this like sweet state of euphoria and they raced. Probably they began running because it was hard for them to do that before. And they raced off into the distance, not believing that their nightmare was finally over. That's what this miracle was like for them. Can you imagine that? I mean, what a miracle if you were ever in that spot to experience that sort of healing. So as we study the miracles that Jesus performed, uh, the miracles that Jesus performed come in all shapes and sizes. Some are, uh, you know, have to do with healing. Others, uh, they're all different. So as we study the miracles, I want us to invite to think about two things, and it's true for this story today, but we're going to look at two things that I want us to keep in mind, so we're going to spend the rest of our time together uh, looking at these two things. And so the first thing is this. The first thing I want us to keep in mind is that when Jesus performed all of these miracles, he was revealing that God was doing something new. So God is doing something new through the miracles that Jesus performed, and throughout history, Whenever God was doing something new, it was always accompanied by supernatural miracles. And this is true. When the people were in Egypt and they were oppressed and they were in slavery and God wanted to do something new and bring them into the promised land, bring them out of uh, slavery and and say, come and be my people, supernatural miracles and signs followed. It didn't work out so well for the Egyptians, but they had the ten plagues. As they were running from the Egyptians, uh, God parted the Red Sea. Uh, As they were... Out in the wilderness, he wrote the Ten Commandments onto the stone. And after they'd spent that 40 years, God was doing something new again. He said, okay, it's finally time for you to come into the promised land. And so he parted the rivers of the Jordan as they uh, all the people passed through. They went around and uh, blew their horns. And uh, after, you know, the sixth day, the, the walls of Jericho fell. Whenever God is doing something new throughout history, supernatural miracles accompany that new thing. And it it does a couple of things, but it says that this is really God doing this thing. And it proves that this is really a new thing that's happening. And so that's what Jesus was doing and, and has done. Jesus is making things new. And that's true for us because you used to have to go to to a temple to worship. And now we can worship In spirit and truth, every day, our lives can be an act of worship. We used to have to go through all this ceremony stuff to be right with God, but now we're right with God because of Jesus Christ, and we have faith and trust in Him. We can live freely and abundantly in life in such a different way because of the new thing that God did through Jesus Christ. And so back to the story, Jesus offered these men a new life. From what they had before to their uh, cleansing, their healing, the miracle... They had a physical change that brought back their health, brought them back to their families, and brought them back to a place where they weren't living as outcasts. So can you imagine this miracle is what their new lives were built on? So that the miracles that Jesus performed 
point to the big, great, big thing that God is doing through Jesus Christ and making things new. So think about it for a second. Our new life in Christ is built on the miracle of his resurrection. I mean, all of the miracles testify that it was God at work doing this new thing. But as we seek to have new life in Christ, not just in this life, but in the life to come, our hope is built on the miracle that was performed through the resurrection. Our faith is built on the miracle that the God of this universe would send his only son, the thing uh, to be born of a virgin, to live among us, to teach us, to show us how to have a relationship with God, to talk to God, to experience. Jesus came to experience our pain with us, to heal us, to die for us so that through his death and the miracle of his resurrection, all those who trust and believe in him would have new life in him, eternal life. This is the miracle that our faith is built on. So what's sad about this story is that as these ten men experience this physical healing and we're offered new life in Christ as we relate to that, what's sad about this story is the warning that accompanies the story. All ten were healed physically. So as we pray for miracles, as we look for God at work in our lives, the true story comes when the one came back. He's the one who was made well. He was the one who truly had new life. So at the end of the story, one out of the ten comes back to say thank you. If you look in verses 17 through 19. And when he comes back, Jesus is surprised, perplexed, which I'm sure Jesus wasn't actually surprised. But to the man, he said, well, where are the other nine? Weren't ten of you healed? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go for your faith has made you well. So the second thing I want us to keep in mind is that the miracles Jesus performed prove that he's the son of God. So when the one saw that he was healed, he didn't just waste time. He he came. He didn't waste any time. He came back and he was shouting. He was saying, thank God you have healed me. You've saved me. And he ran back to Jesus. He fell at his feet and he began to say thank you. And he was shouting as loud. Jesus was probably like, all right, man, quiet down a little bit. It's okay. But the guy was so excited. He was so thankful for what had happened, for the new life he had. And he realized that his new life was more than just the healing that took place. And that's the lesson we learn. That one of the main reasons we have faith in Christ is because of the miracles that were performed. And just like that guy, he knew that this guy was who he says he was, is who he says he is. So these miracles help us to believe that he's the son of God, that he is God. If we don't believe that the resurrection actually happened, then what are we doing here? That the miracle that Jesus performed of uh, of the resurrection, the miracles he performed throughout his ministry, prove that he is who he says he is. He's not just some guy that said, hey, be nice and love others. Turn the other cheek, do some nice things. He's the son of God. He is God. And so the miracles prove that. You know, the miracles are like God's guarantee, God's stamp, God's signature that said, hey, by the way, this is really me. I'm the one saying all these things. I'm the one doing these things. Believe, believe in Jesus because it's me. Now, here's the thing. We all experience miracles differently. We all see them differently. And with these 10 guys, it's true for us today. Not everybody believes. Some people doubt. As we see in our scripture today, those 10 not all came back automatically worshiping Jesus, saying, hey, you're God. You're the guy. 
And uh, you can see throughout some of the miracles that every time a miracle was performed, there was always some, there, a lot of times there was some uh, skepticism. And that's true for us today. We're offered a new life in Christ. And we can either choose to believe in that miracle or not. But it's the miracles and the miracle of the resurrection that solidifies our faith in, in Jesus. It proves that he's God. And we get this miracle of a new life. So here's what we can learn from the guy who came back. Some of us, I think, only talk to God when we need something in our life. Like we push that help button. We say, hey, God, can you make life a little easier? Can you help me? Uh, Jesus, uh, you know, I'm going, my parents are going through a terrible divorce right now. I really need your help. Or, Lord, I've, I've got this final term paper uh, that I'm about to write. Can you just come in and, and give me a little help? Lord, I, I, uh, I'm really struggling in my marriage, and I don't know what to do with my child. I don't know how to talk to my kids anymore. God, I need your help. Lord, I, I kind of feel like I've lost my way a little bit. I need your help. And so we ask God for the, these, this newness of life, this new way to, to be. And we ask God for help, and we forget, I think, a lot of times, to come back and say thank you. Even if God was just present with us through it all, and then our situation didn't change, we forget to say thank you. We forget to give God the praise that he's due. So God desires our praise, God wants our praise, but God doesn't need our praise. I think giving God praise, giving God worship, does a lot for us. It does something to us, it it, it does something in us. When we worship God from a real place in our heart, it takes whatever work that God is doing And it brings us healing to our soul that we just can't, I can't explain. And that's when the miracle goes deeper than our skin and it penetrates our heart. When we are living a life of worship, when we're thanking God every single day, in every single way possibly that we can. And that's what happened to the one guy that came back. So all ten were running, but the guy came back because he got it. He knew what was going on and he's the one who experienced the true miracle of a new life in Christ. And as Christ said, he was made well. So Melissa and I, that day that I told you about earlier, when we heard our son uh, Liam's heartbeat for the first time, we were so excited. In fact, I remember uh, it was hot and we went out to the car and we were taking pictures of the sonogram. We were calling family. We were so excited. Uh, I'll never forget that day. But the other thing that I remember that's true that I think whenever we're thinking about happy moments, there's always that weight of responsibility that comes on the car ride home all of a sudden. And maybe it's just me because I'm a planner, but we're driving home and I said, uh, we started talking. The conversation shifted from excitement to, hey, by the way, we need to get a cup. We need to get a crib. Uh, we need to test that. What cribs are good? We need to get a glider. We need to, we, we need to get some stuff. And so we began to talk about all the stuff we needed to do to prepare for Liam's arrival. And then we started to think about, okay, wait, what about pediatricians? How do we see all this stuff? What are we going to do about pediatricians? And uh, how are we going to take care of him once he comes? And I, I kid you not, by the end of the car ride, uh, we were definitely talking about saving for his college and what that was going to look like and how, what we could do over that process. Because here's what happens when we get the gift of new life, whether it's uh, the gift of new life through a child or the gift of, of uh, a miracle, something that's happened or we finally wake up and we have a new life in Christ. When we have that miracle happen in our lives, that new life in Christ and we're a new creation and we we trust and believe that God is who he says he is and we live out of that, 
man, we experience that and it's so exciting. And then the sobering moment comes that we realize there's a responsibility of being a new life in Christ. There's a responsibility for ourselves and for others. And so what happens is out of that responsibility, we have to respond. We have to live differently. We have to be differently, not because of the guilt that comes with it, but because of the joy. And I think the people who have figured it out the best, they're the ones who just simply live a life of worship and praise. And they do that well because they're not afraid, they're not worried. They're simply joyful and thankful for the life they have in Christ. So whenever I look at stories, I think, um, especially a story like this, that I can identify with a lot of the people in the stories. And so I ask you, where are you in this story? Are you one of the ones that are waking up to the disease of sin? Are you still early on in your story? Are you waking up to the disease of sin in your life and you're crying out and you're asking for Jesus for help? You're saying, hey, I've got all this brokenness around me. God, I need your help. I need a new life. I need you to do something because I've tried and I can't do it. Are you waking up and realizing that the power of sin has overcome you? Or maybe you're starting to get a glimpse that your life isn't as full or meaningful as you thought because you haven't trusted God and and you're realizing, man, I need God's help in my life. Maybe that's where you are. Or are you like the the, the ten running, especially the nine? Have you experienced that new life? But somewhere along the way, you forgot to say thank you. So you realize that you have this new life that you're living into, but the responsibility that comes with it, the opportunities that come with that new life, you're kind of not living into it. And you forget to say thank you, and you forget really what that means for you. And so the excitement of that miracle kind of fades away. Or are you like the one who came back? Are you so excited about that miracle that's happened, the gift of new life in Jesus Christ, that you're shouting with all that you have and You're worshiping God in a life of worship every single day because Jesus has given you the miracle of new life and you can't help but say thank you with everything that you have. And every experience, every relationship, everything isn't necessarily always getting better or or worse, but you find yourself able to love God and love others naturally and, and a little bit easier every single day because of the joy that comes with the miracle of a new life in Jesus Christ. Where are you in the story? Because here's what I want to know. What would it have looked like in this story if all ten had come back? What would it be like for all of us if we lived a life of worship every single day, praising God out of a natural place in our heart, that the miracle of new life penetrated our, our deepest heart? Can you imagine what that would look like? What would it look like in our families Right. If we lived a life of worship and we were so thankful for what God was doing with us every day, we might respond differently when we get into an argument with our spouse or when our child comes home and, uh, you know, they're kind of giving us uh, an attitude. We might respond differently or when our parents are asking us to do something we don't want to do, we might respond differently because we're so joyful about the life we have in Jesus Christ. We might live differently. We might serve differently. We might look around our lives might look differently. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we lived a life of worship? The people we encounter, the stress of life, it it wouldn't be so oppressive. It wouldn't be the thing that we react and make decisions out of. We might live differently because it wouldn't have the same power over our lives because our lives would be completely changed and healed because of a new life in Jesus Christ. 
Can you imagine what our world would look like? If everybody in this world knew and accepted and received the miracle of a new life in Jesus Christ, can you imagine? I mean, this is why it's important to share our faith and to live it well and to do it well, because could you imagine what this world would look like if everybody came back praising God every single day and not just one day a week, but every single day of their lives and their hearts were so filled with joy? Now, I know that that may seem like a stretch, but can I tell you, that's my, that's my dream, and I think that's God's dream for this world, is that we would be a people caught up in a life of worship. That we would be a world caught up in a life of worship. Because, friends, let me tell you, that's what heaven's going to be like. We're going to be a, a, a people gathered around thanking God for the miracle of the life we have eternal in Christ. So here's the thing. How are we going to respond? Where are we in the story? What steps do we need to take? Do we need to to find ourselves really trusting and believing that we need God's help? Do we need to find ourselves in a place where we've received that help or, or we've received that new life and we really do need to say thank you? Or are we in a place where we're almost there and we just need to, to be encouraged to say, hey, continue to be joyful. Continue to give thanks. Continue to give praise. Because it's contagious. And so may we live as a people who have life abundant in Jesus Christ, who live a new life and who find that God is who he says he is in Christ and that God is doing something new still in us and through us and that as a response that our lives, our families, and our world can be different because of it. Amen?